are tuning in to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. My name is Bree, and you can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. Check out the show notes for more information, including a link to my website. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. I am so excited to announce that I am going to begin offering free yoga sequences on my website. When I have one-on-one private sessions with my clients, I always prepare them a customized yoga sequence. I send them a questionnaire prior to our meeting, and depending on the answers I receive, I create a sequence that I think will fit them and fit their needs. Then during that session, I will make adjustments and modifications, revise it, and resend it to them. And this has been so helpful in our connection together and working with my student, as well as hopefully helping them to create a home practice that will give them both consistency so that they can see the benefits that yoga has to offer them. And then once they see the benefits, they'll have the motivation that they need to have a sustainable home practice. And then they'll have longevity. And one thing I love about home practices, and this is why I'm such a proponent for a personal practice, is not only do you have the privacy that you sometimes just need, but you have the autonomy to really get introspective, listen to your body, and do what's right for you. The challenge in all of this is really understanding how to create a home practice that makes sense, that you can benefit from, and that doesn't um, leave you feeling like either you're bored or you're confused or you're you know, worried that you're unable to create this practice for yourself. So I really want to demystify yoga class and break down a yoga sequence at an anatomical level. So I really hope that you get some value from this episode that allows you to not only look at your yoga class a little bit differently, but give you the tools that you need to create a robust personal practice. Rather, it's 15 minutes a day or it's two hours, you will have the tools you need to be mindful and creating a practice that is going to be beneficial for your body. When we do not practice yoga in the way that it's intended to be practiced, we will put our body possibly out of alignment, create imbalances, and really on some level can begin to create injury within the body. So it is important to understand this enough to be able to do it appropriately, but also to have confidence in yourself and having that home practice. I know one of the biggest reasons why students tend to not have a consistent yoga practice is Either they do not have the time or they do not have the money. And although I'm all for yoga videos to lead you through your class at home or lead you through your private practice, I should say, or even my free audio classes that I offer on this podcast, there is just something beautiful about understanding your body, listening to your intuition, making adjustments and modifications as you see fit, all while having this deep introspection within yourself. And the only way you can do that is by knowing that you can create and sequence a yoga class for yourself that can really 
allow you to just enjoy your practice. You can play music or you can light a candle or you can practice in silence and you can really tune in within self. So I know that there's a lot of yoga immersion programs and this is one of the reasons why I'm such a fan of them because not all yoga students want to teach yoga, but taking a 100-hour or 200-hour yoga immersion can really not only deepen you in the yoga philosophy, but also in understanding yoga sequencing or at least the fundamentals of yoga poses and postures in a way that you feel confident with utilizing them. Please keep in mind that on my podcast, I do also offer step-by-step breakdowns of some of the most popular poses, and I release one every single week. So tune into those, which will give you, I think, information on how to ground yourself in that pose in a way that allows you to benefit from it on a larger scale. So thank you for listening. Let's get started. So I wanted to talk about two different types of yoga classes and we call them themes. And there's two really major themes that you will see in any given class and you can decide how you want to theme your own personal practice. The first theme is creating the entire sequence around a peak pose. So there's um, typically some sort of level of difficulty or um, focus that may be required in what we call the peak pose. And you will lead yourself up to that pose and then cool yourself down. And in leading up, not only are you warming up the muscle groups that are going to be most affected in that pose, but you're also going to have little techniques that are like micro poses to the peak pose that will allow you to get into that pose hopefully once you reach the peak. A good example of this would be dancer pose. And dancer pose is the pose where you're standing on one leg similar to a flamingo and you're pulling up that back leg either all the way to the crown of your head or somewhere behind you holding it either with both or one hand. And you may um, do different types of back bends prior to actually trying to get into that major back bend, or you may be doing different types of balancing poses, peaking to that pose. So I typically do not um, teach peak posing sequences too often in a regular yoga class. And the real reason for that for me is because I typically try to teach my classes based on not only the idea, which I'm going to talk about in a second, of what my theme is, but also the energy of the students in that class. So the difficulty with a peak pose class, um, unless you, like I said, are teaching to maybe level two or some sort of advanced yoga class, you are not sure if that peak pose is going to be so difficult for the majority of the class that it ends up not being a peak pose at all. So, um, and some students have no idea that the class is formulated for that peak pose, and that's usually the best way to do it as a yoga teacher. Um, But some yoga teachers actually say, today we are going to be focused on um, bird of paradise, and we're going to try to transition you into this pose. And so um, it just depends on the style of the teacher. I've been to peak pose classes that have been absolutely mind-blowing. And I think that is, in a way, what's neat about them is 
the teacher is getting you into, instructing you into this pose that you maybe ordinarily wouldn't even think of doing yourself, but they do it in such a way that finesses your body into it or into some variation of it because they warmed you up and they led up to it in such an amazing way. So it takes a lot of creativity and it takes a lot of, um, I believe, like scientific forethought to really know how the body is going to transition itself to that pose. So that is one idea. Um, one of my favorite peak pose classes that I teach or Rather, um, I like to teach in workshop settings more so than in regular classes, is um, headstand and handstand. So I love the idea that we're going to be going into this full inversion um, if someone takes the full pose. And we're going to do a lot of mini inversions, mini um, folds, mini uh, uh, back bends, and lots of core work hip opener, shoulder work to really get us mentally ready and physically ready to get into that peak pose. So just to give you some ideas about peak poses and um, how fun they can be, but that they do have their own challenges in designing a class completely around that. The more common classes are going to be based on themes. Um, and the themes can be specialized such as a class for digestion, and a class like that would have a lot of twists, kind of wringing out the organs, detoxifying the body, releasing, um, you know, uh, bodily flow, bodily gas, <laughs> things like that within that um, practice. And then it may have a lot of binds where you're actually cutting off blood circulation to a limb of the body and then releasing the bind, releasing the blood flow. Um, so twist and binds and digestive type practices, maybe some breath work to release toxins out the body, maybe um, a heavy vinyasa flow um, for part of the practice to basically um, work up a bit of a sweat so you can kind of get a general idea about a themed class of that nature. Another common themed class may be um, balancing. So that class may be just focused on rather it's arm balances, balancing on the hands, balancing on one leg. It's just all about balancing. So you're going to transition to balancing poses by opening up the hips, which help to um, prep your body for balancing later, relaxing the psoas muscle, which I just talked about in a previous episode on this podcast, um, maybe even lengthening and um, relaxing your hamstrings, your quadriceps, maybe focusing on some rooting and some groundwork prior to practice to really prep you for those balancing poses, which are just as mental as, they're, as they are physical. So there's that kind of a theme. Um, you'll see themes that are focused on strength and core work. Maybe you'll have um, a Pilates fusion class theme or even just fun classes that are themed around music or themed around holidays. Um, so as you can see, the themes can get elaborate or they can be very specific. When I have a home practice, I typically take note of how I'm feeling that day and what I'm needing to work on. I golf a lot with my husband, and so I have a nagging shoulder. Um, it's not an injury. It's just a little bit of discomfort from stress and overuse. And so lately, I've been theming all of my personal practices around my shoulder, opening it, strengthening it, 
um, you know, flex, getting flexible in that shoulder, making sure it doesn't get too tight, all of that, testing it, relaxing it. So um, your themes can be that way. One-on-one yoga sessions with private clients is typically themed around something that they want to work on. So some of the most popular themes that students on -on one-on-ones want to work on is flexibility. Flexibility is one of those things that comes with time. You have to have a lot of patience to um, really see the benefits of your body over time getting more and more flexible. But we can start working, working on tightening the core, which allows you to flatten the body in certain areas. We focus on strength poses, which again, starts to create different energy um, circuits in your body, which will lead to flexibility. We will work on balancing poses. All these things lead to flexibility, right? Or you'll have, I'll have um, one-on-ones that are in some sort of a sport. And so they want to either, um, this is like their cross training day is working with me, or they want to actually um, work on balance because their sport requires balance somehow in it. I work with gymnastics um, or gymnasts a lot, and um, I work really hard to never do what they are doing in gymnastics. And gymnasts always want to do inversions and balancing poses because that's what they're great at as gymnasts. So I have to focus them on breath work, on um, usually core work, even though they're gymnasts, a lot of them um, use their core from gymnastics in a total different way than using their core in yoga. So really relaxing the psoas, opening up the hips, all of that. So um, that's a lot about themes. So you can really kind of plan your personal practice to suit your personal needs. Again, why I love personal practices. And um, those are generally uh, what you're going to find in a yoga class. So as you start going to yoga class, you can start trying to wrap your mind around, I wonder what the theme is. Now, keep in mind, if you are working in um, a class where the yoga teacher teaches a lot of classes, I know for me, I have taught several classes a week, sometimes multiple classes a day. And so I get so in tuned with my students that I start just theming my classes around them or I will ask them, hey, you guys want to work on X, Y, Z today? And then I know to start transitioning their bodies to that. So, um, but it's a fun little game to kind of try to figure out what you worked a lot on in any particular class. Um, Some yoga teachers will kind of walk you through that through speech and tell you, hey, we're really going to focus on strengthening the shoulders today. Or they'll tell you at the end of the class, you guys really worked really hard on your core. That was the goal, you know, that sort of thing. So that's pretty cool. I do want to point out something, and I think it's important to just mention it now. I personally think it is more useful to have a set sequence that is only has about a 10% fluctuation within about a four-week period. So um, I like to offer, like let's say, my one-on-one clients or even the classes that I teach live, the studio classes, I will theme the class that have some sort of particular motivation. And I will try to keep that intact for about four weeks. My students who are consistent 
will start to, one, they, they get a benefit from starting to memorize the sequence a little bit. And every single week we can pr- progress in some way. So for example, if you are in warrior two, week one, we can completely focus on grounding from the root to the sky, right? Root to crown, bottom up. And I will take my students' awareness to their foot placement, their alignment, how their thighs feel, their legs, their hips. And we will just focus on that that week. I will cue them in different ways that week. I will try to keep their awareness in that general area. Then week two, we'll begin to maybe focus on the core or bringing belly button to spine or bringing heart through center, um, noticing our shoulder blades, noticing our rotations of our arms or our legs. And so we'll start to, I'll start to cue that in different ways throughout the week and then, or throughout the, you know, practice. And then the third week, I might start to focus on Dristi, which is focal points and taking their awareness to certain areas, showing them how different one posture feels when they're looking down versus looking towards the sky, um, all of that. And then maybe the fourth week, I start to focus completely on breath in a way that was bigger than the weeks previous. So you can start to see how you can create this sequence and you can really start to understand and break out the poses one by one throughout that sequence. And another thing that I love to do is there's some very um, common yoga poses that you typically use in sequences. So downward facing dog, the warriors um, will show up in you know, more um, strength-based practices. There's just certain sequences, or excuse me, poses. I think there's over like 2,000 yoga poses, Um, but you'll see the same 20 poses over a year of classes that are always incorporated some way, somehow. Now, if you take the same example of Warrior Two. And in the first month sequence, I have warrior two, and it always transitions into triangle pose. And in that transition, I'm going to take my students' awareness to their core, to maybe their hip, to their legs, that sort of thing. And that's month one. Then in month two, I'm still going to have warrior two, but now I'm going to transition warrior two into half moon, which is going to balance them on one leg. Um, it can become even more challenging if they have their fingertips touching the earth or off the earth, their eye gazes towards the sky, but it's still warrior two. It's just no longer transitioning to triangle. It's now transitioning to half moon. So as you can see, you can start to create a multi-month sequence even in itself. And that's what I'm hoping to offer on my website is a free sequence that allows you to utilize it for about a month, make some variations and modifications that fit you, and then the next month, start to build on to that sequence. And then before you know it, in about six months to a year period of having sequences, learning them, rather through my website or through um, your live studio classes, you will then be able to Memorize some of those sequences for yourself, for your home practice. Focus on poses that work better for your body, but it's still the same sequence. So focusing on maybe holding those poses longer or 
whatever, making a modification for the pose that you want to try out, maybe taking the pose deeper, making it more challenging, wherever you're at, um, you can completely turn one sequence into several sequences just on modifications, variations alone. Um, so you can start to get an idea of how easy it starts to become to have a home practice when you have an understanding. So um, I wanted to run all of that by you and now basically really get you into the anatomy of a yoga class. There are a certain set there's a formula, I should say, that creates a really beneficial practice. Beneficial for your body, it keeps you balanced, it keeps you from injury, it should make you feel better when you're done, not worse. And yoga can be very physical and we should be mindful of how we transition our from one pose to the next and why we are transitioning in that manner. So the first thing you are always going to do, even if you only have a 15-minute practice, is you're going to get grounded. So you can take anywhere between 5 to 10 minutes, maybe longer, and you can just ground yourself. You can go into, you can find yourself in a seated position. You can root yourself into the earth. You can sit cross-legged or tadasana or excuse me, dandasana, you can be in half lotus or full lotus. Whatever you need to do, you can start to notice your breath, start to bring awareness to your body, maybe take note of how you're feeling physically and emotionally, mentally, and just start to breathe. Maybe do some short meditation. Um, whatever you need to do, set an intention for your practice. Just get in the mindset. Some of the most common poses for grounding is child's pose. Um, I mentioned being in a seated position. And you can even start in Shavasana. Just start lay by in laying in your final resting pose, but make that how you begin your practice. So those are all really good ways, and you're definitely going to want to add some time at the beginning of your practice to get grounded. The next thing that's uber important to never exclude is warming up. You can warm up in a very simplistic, basic, quick way, depending on how long your practice is going to be, or you can warm up in a more intentional way, depending on what you are sequencing for yourself. So if you know you're going to do a lot of inversions and balancing poses, you may have um, a different type of warm up. So some of my favorite warm up tactics is you know, um, massaging the fingers, massaging the palms of the hands, getting the hands ready, the wrist ready for any type of weight I'm going to be putting on it, even if it's just down dog, rolling my neck, rolling my shoulders, um, really just kind of getting my joints lubricated through warm up. And then um, cat-cow variations, maybe doing just some gentle core work, so going into tabletop position, maybe lifting an arm, lifting a leg, just kind of warming up the core, going into a modified version of plank or side plank. Um, you can start doing some gentle twists. You can do what we call threading the knee needle, which is really just opening up the shoulders. 
So you can do some gentle side body stretches from like child's pose, walking your fingers over to one direction and then the other. And whatever um, feels comfortable, sweeping your hands above head, all of that, just warming up the body, getting the blood flowing, getting your body ready for practice. Then um, a lot of yoga classes will incorporate sun salutations or moon salutations in their warm-ups. You can find these sequences online. They're very popular. You can use this sequence as your complete yoga practice for the day. So you can warm up. You can do sun salutations for 15 minutes. You can cool your body down and you can go into Shavasana for anywhere between three to five minutes in a 15-minute practice, right? So this can be the practice in itself because sun salutations actually combine every major muscle group. So it is a practice within itself. Um, it heats and stimulates your body. It really gets you warmed up. It has uh, slight standing backward bends. It has forward folds. It has downward facing dog. Some variations have lunge um, or chair pose. And I like to add poses to my sun salutations. So if you follow my yoga classes on audio here on this podcast, you'll hear some of them. I like to um, basically use the general sun salutation routine and depending on what it is that I'm warming up the class for, I will just add it into sun sals. And you can do several in a row. You can do it one time. Um, you can incorporate it within the first set of your yoga class or your yoga practice. So I sometimes will start the class off in a sun salutation modification, and then we'll go into some standing postures, and then I'll bring back sun salutations again, just because it has a nice vinyasa flow. I will talk about the different breath work at the end of the episode so that you can understand that as well. So Keep that in mind. Sun salutations are very easy to memorize and they could be a practice within themselves. Moon salutations are not as common in classes, but you can still find the sequences online. They're very popular and they're more cooling and quieting. So I would choose moon salutation if you're um, basically creating a slower, more relaxed type flow. So Google sun salutations and moon salutations and get a general idea of what they look like. So they're really cool. They're meant to be practiced in a flow. So every posture will have breath work associated with the movement. And we'll talk about that, like I said, in a moment. So the next thing that you're going to do if you're going to continue on your yoga practice is you're going to start with standing poses. So you standing poses or anything from the warrior series, lunges, um, tree pose, eagle pose, balancing poses on one leg, all of that, anything where you're standing on your mat. <laughs> Those are standing poses. And you are going to want to either um, create them into a flow. So you can go from, like I was saying earlier, warrior two to triangle to maybe warrior two again to reverse warrior. And those all can be in a breath. So warrior two, inhale, triangle, exhale, back to warrior two, inhale, exhale into reverse warrior, inhale into warrior two, 
and then exhale. So you can create a breath flow, which we call vinyasa flow with the breath, and it creates like a meditative flow with the practice. Or you can create what we call hatha yoga, which is holding poses for longer moments, longer breaths. So for instance, you're in warrior two. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. On your next inhale, you're going to transition into triangle pose. Exhale here. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. On your next inhale, you're going to transition back into warrior two. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. On your next inhale, you're going to transition into reverse warrior. Or it could be on your next exhale. It doesn't have to be on your next inhale or on your next exhale you can create what's instinctive for your body. So um, cat-cow is a good example of that. You're going to inhale cat into cat, exhale into cow, or inhale into cow, exhale into cat, right? So that's basically how breath work works, and you can decide how you want to create that practice. I personally just go with what feels good for my body. So I may feel like holding warrior two because I really want to pay attention to my core. So I'm going to hold it for four breaths, but I'm going to create a flow for my next um, three postures. You know, so you just kind of whatever you do on one side, you just want to mimic and create balance on the opposite side. So if you're holding poses in warrior two on the right side, you're going to want to hold poses um, for warrior two or hold breath, uh, do your breaths and hold the pose on the left side. So, um, keep that in mind. So standing and balancing postures are now completed. And then you're going to want to transition into seated postures. So, um, a good transition into this, for instance, would be you are going from standing poses to downward facing dog. And from downward facing dog, you step back into plank and from plank, you can either come back onto your heels and sweep your feet around, come back onto your heels and stand up on like your um, shins and basically do a back bend there. Or you can be in plank and lower onto your belly, at which point you can do cobra or other on your belly type poses. But ultimately, you're now... Um, either in seated or supine postures, okay? So your body is really warm now from all the standing poses and all the balancing that you were doing. So you're hot, you're heated, you're warmed up, and now we can start to focus on deeper stretching of the body, a little bit more of the um, maybe going into deeper back bends that are um, seated back bends or forward folds. If you did a lot of back bend standing, for instance, the counter pose to back bend would be folding forward. So that's another thing to think about um, that you're going to want to incorporate in your practice is, okay, I'm very mindful that I did five sun salutations that required me to bend my back and I did um, standing forward folds. So I'm good. I have all the counter poses that were in that were created in sun salutations. But what if I didn't do sun salutations and I was just doing my own practice and I did a lot of backward bends because it felt so good? Well, then you need to transition to more forward folds 
or you're going to have to do some seated forward folds like legs out in front of you and dandasana um, or butterfly and then slowly folding forward. And we'll talk about that as well. But um, so now you can cool, start to cool your body down by stretching, spending more time in each posture. So you're even if you had a vinyasa flow type class the entire time, once you get seated, you are definitely holding for multiple breaths. Okay. And some of the most popular postures would be like a seated spinal twist, maybe doing like half pigeon pose, or you could do um, figure four on your back, which is the variation of pigeon. You could do, like I said, those seated forward folds. You can go into a bridge, modified bridge or full wheel pose, supine, um, supine twist, or even like happy baby, hip opening, those types of things, okay? Um, and then once you're done doing your seated postures, which can, which can be lots of different variations, um, you can end your practice and go into your final resting pose, okay? If you wanted to have a more challenging, post, uh, challenging sequence, in between your standing poses and your seated poses, you can add inversions. So this is where you can put in handstands, things of that nature. You can add arm balances um, and really focus on that or any other type of balances that you didn't do in standing balances. Um, but typically when you do standing postures, you start doing balances in the standing position and then eventually you might do some grounding balances or grounded balances like balancing on your hands. And then typically you'll go from balancing on your hands to doing full inversions like handstand or headstand or things of that nature. And then you will start to come back to a seated positions where you'll do twists um, and then start to relax your body and cool it down. So that is it. You go into Shavasana and I recommend that you always 100% of the time go into final resting pose. Rather it's for three minutes or it's for 20 minutes. I like it to be at least five minutes if you can and longer if you had um, a lot of inversions and a lot of balancing. Try to make it 10 minutes. So as you can see, you're, it's very easy to build a one-hour class when you think about it. It's actually more difficult to build a smaller class under 30 minutes than it is to build a class that's about 45 minutes to an hour because you can warm up for 10 minutes, you can cool down for 10 minutes um, in Shavasana, and then you have 40 minutes to actually practice and you have to get all these postures in and then that creates your one-hour class. So um, keep that in mind when you are building your personal practice at home. You can always just warm up and do sun salutations and then um, allow yourself to have a gentle cool down and then shavasana. So that's a nice way to start a home practice. It's just, it's very simple in that respect. And then you can start to um, branch out and add things. And you can do one balancing pose standing. Or you can do one warrior pose. Um, you do not have to do a very elaborate sequence. You can easily go from sun salutations and you could do one or two rounds of those instead of five. And then you can 
you know, go into building up some really strengthening um, standing poses, like I said, warrior two or crescent lunge are perfect for that. And then you can hold those postures for a while. You can do um, more planks, side planks for um, building up that core and that strength. And you can add in tree pose just to give yourself a little bit of a balance challenge. And then you can go into some seated positions. You can do butterfly. You can do modified bridge. You can use a block or um, just modify it. And then you can um, go into happy baby and final resting pose. So it doesn't have to be a lot of yoga postures. It can be core postures. And that's why when you're Googling sequences online, it may only have five or 10 postures because you do not need 30 postures. Um, but you do need to know what you're going to do with each of those postures and what you're going to do in between them. So that's for sure. Um, a couple of other things that I wanted to add into this idea, I ended up talking about pratyama or breath work or just um, vinyasa flow versus the hatha yoga, um, creating that meditative flow with your breath per pose, you know, um, inhale upward facing dog, exhale downward facing dog, and then you're going to stay in downward facing dog for five more breaths. That just created both a vinyasa flow and a hatha um, style yoga all in that same five minutes, right? So we talked about that. I also just wanted to talk about the idea that there are some yoga poses that have a different effect on your nervous system than others. So if you're practicing in the morning and you want energy, you're going to do more inversions, which is your head is below your heart. You're going to do more back bends, which gives your body energy, and you are going to um, probably have a more vinyasa flow type practice if you want to create that faster, more radiant body heat and energizing flow. If you're doing a practice before you go to bed, you're going to want to not do any back bends, which will give you energy you're going to maybe add something like legs up the wall to start to calm down your nervous system. You're going to maybe add some more psoas releasing um, type poses, which I talk about in another episode, but even just doing um, modified bridge pose, not the full bridge pose or will pose, but just the modification, more hip openers like lying pigeon or um, half pigeon or figure four, things like that you'll want to do more before you go to bed. So other than sequencing a practice, it's important to know what the postures are doing to your nervous system. Obviously, if you're about to go to bed, doing handstands is doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But in the middle of the day, handstands would be awesome or headstands or you know taking your head below heart that sort of thing right so some of it is a little intuitive but I know for me doing back bends wasn't something I ever really thought about before I went to bed 
So I've done back bends and gotten completely energized and it just, you're up for another two hours. It's like a cup of coffee. So those are some side note tips that I think just make it cool and you can kind of see the science behind yoga, but there is an art to it as well. You still get to be creative. You still get to be who you are in your practice. And just remember that the more simple the sequence, the more likely you are to get to understand the postures in a way that is beneficial to your body. And simplicity is really, really warranted in, I think, a strong yoga practice. Do not frown upon simplicity. Is it nice to try something new? Absolutely. But do not make that your goal to every time you practice, you've you know, you have to try something really crazy or anything like that. Yoga is not, um, you know, a circus. Do what's comfortable for your body. Some yoga practices, I will spend a lot more time in child's pose than others. Just go with the flow, pun intended, and just be proud that you are rolling out your mat and you're stepping foot on it, you're getting yourself grounded and centered, and remember the most important thing of all is to breathe, and if you ever find yourself holding your breath, come out of that pose. If you are not breathing consistently through the yoga pose, you're doing two things. You're telling your nervous system that you are in danger, because we hold our breath when we're in danger, or we're scared, or we're having anxiety. And so then your body will start to have a negative reaction to the practice of yoga and you will, it will be subconscious. So you want to breathe throughout all the poses, especially the ones that are more difficult than, than others. Another thing to remember is to not tighten your jaw. When a pose is especially difficult or it's stretching a part of our body that's extremely tight, tend to clench our jaws. So be mindful of that. You don't want to create that tension, which will then circulate itself down through your neck and could create some other issues as it starts to go towards the spine. Um, and then lastly, do not, I guess, push yourself beyond your own limits. Remember that you still have to be mindful of what your limitations are on any given day, and they can change every single time you practice. Hips are like that. One day they're tight, one day they're loose. The right side's tight when you're doing pigeon, the left side's loose when you're doing pigeon. Have compassion for yourself. And if it's frustrating at first, it's just like anything else. It becomes better over time. It's something you need to get comfortable at and maybe ask yourself, what is making me uncomfortable? And journal about it. And Celebrate the little things that you're just proud of, no matter how tiny they are. And um, I wish you luck, and I hope you visit my website. I will um, let you know when the first sequence is posted, and I will be posting them monthly, and there will be some sort of a theme behind them, of course, that I find to be helpful for you and your body and your mind, and um, hopefully even your spirit. Thank you for listening. I know this was a longer episode. As I always say, faith is my grace. Love is the highest vibration. Namaste. 
Download the Spotify or Stitcher app for free. Find all the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast episodes on there, including my new series where I break down yoga poses one by one, step by step, as well as downloading free audio yoga classes and other podcast episodes. Thank you so much. Namaste. Thank you.